0: That's me. Good morning, everyone out there in podcast land, and welcome to another edition of Jesus and Coffee. Amen. Ah, oh, this is a daily devotion, slash Bible study. We read the scriptures, we pray, we have our coffee, and we start our day. my cup. I want more and more. Give me a good cup of coffee Give me a word that rocks me A whole lot of Jesus and a little caffeine You are my awakening The world awaits out the front door Well, this is Jesus and Coffee Amen I've got my Bible open in front of me I've got a nice hot cup of dark roast coffee And i got everything I need to start my day So why don't you join us if you love Jesus and you love coffee? Come on in. If you don't love Jesus and/or coffee, come on in anyway. You may like it. You may not. You may learn something. You may not. But it surely won't hurt you. I guarantee you that much. Maybe something to start your day. You may find something to think about all day, to meditate, and to make your day better than it might have been. So let's get started. We're going to read the scripture, we're going to pray, we're going to have coffee, and we're going to start our day, Jesus and coffee, amen. Only you make me come alive, only you can satisfy. It's a supernatural high, Jesus and coffee, amen. All right, today I'm going to be in the Gospel of John as I've been all along. I'm going to read chapter... 4 verses 1 through 38. I'm going to read from the NASB, a New American Standard Bible. So I'm going to continue the running commentary that I started yesterday. Hopefully it'll make the podcast a little bit shorter as we get into more and more meat here. I'm going to pray right now and then we'll get into it. Almighty God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We ask you to open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your holy word. Change us with your word because we desperately need to be changed. Speak to us through your word because we desperately need to hear your voice and reveal yourself to us from your word because we desperately need to know you. Amen. I'm going to begin by giving you a very brief history of the nation of Israel. Israel, whose former name was Jacob, God changed his name to Israel, had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the Heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. King David was able to unite the 12 tribes under his kingship and they became a mighty nation. David passed that kingdom on to his son Solomon, who passed it on to his son Rehoboam. Rehoboam was challenged by Jeroboam, who was a former servant, and the Ten tribes, the north tribes, split. They call it the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was known as Israel. The capital of Israel was Samaria. The southern kingdom was known as Judah. The capital of Judah was Jerusalem. Okay, so these two tribes existed in a kind of an adversarial relationship for a while. Jacob's Sons were always fighting with each other, quarreling with each other when they were alive. So that's no surprise. So about 930 B.C. is when Israel split into the two kingdoms, the north and the south. Uh, around 790 maybe, the Assyrians invaded Israel, the northern kingdom. And by 721, they had conquered it, taken over Samaria, and taken the people of the northern kingdom into captivity in Assyria. These ten tribes never returned from captivity, so they are known as the Lost Tribes of Israel. You may have heard that term before. Okay, then in around 597, Judah went into captivity. Babylon took them into captivity, but they were allowed to return eventually. When they returned and they rebuilt the temple and rebuilt the wall, They found these people who had been left behind by the Assyrians who were essentially Jews but intermingled with the Gentiles that the Assyrians had brought to inhabit the land. And they considered them terrible people. They called them Samaritans. They were unholy. They were filthy. They weren't worth dealing with. And that's where we are today with this reading when Jesus goes to Samaria. Okay, so... Chapter 4 starts with the word therefore, chapter 4 of John, of course. When you see therefore, now we know what therefore is therefore because we, if you've been with me, we've been going through the Gospel of John and you know that therefore relates to the incidents that happened prior to this. But I just want to tell you, when you're reading the Bible and you start with the word therefore, you want to look back and see what came before so you know, as I just said, why therefore is therefore. You have to know what therefore is therefore. Okay, so therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judah and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Okay, so Samaria is what we were just talking about. These people were the ones that left behind and intermingled with the invading Assyrians. And the Jews had no respect for them. They didn't think they were really Jewish. They didn't worship properly, etc. And the Samarians thought the same thing about the Jews, that they were the true Jews, etc. Okay, so they come to Samaria, a city called Sychar. Now, all of these verbs in this section of scripture are in something what's called the historical or dramatic present. One of the reasons I like to read the n a s b sometimes is because it gives you a an asterisk every time the verb is in the historical present. Historical present simply means that it's a past event. But the author is writing it as if it's happening right now because he wants you to see the significance in it. He wants you to experience it as if it's happening right before your eyes. So try to imagine seeing this, being there at the well and seeing this go down. So he came to the city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now there's debate about what the sixth hour means here. Does it mean n- noon? Or does it mean 6 p.m.? There are two ways to tell time. As I mentioned in an early episode, the Roman way, which started the day at midnight, or the Hebrew way, which actually starts the day at sundown. So their timing... Uh, the sixth hour would mean uh six hours after sunrise, which is approximately six o'clock. That would make it noon. But for the Romans, it would be approximately six p.m. because they did the sort of the count cal- the clock over like we do at noon. All right, so it's not that big a deal either way, but you know you need to be consistent, and I said earlier uh, that. The John was writing in Ephesus, so he probably was t- working on Roman time, uh, because I wanted to imagine him spending the whole day with the Lord. He met the day he met him, when John said, "Behold." So I'm going to have to stick with that. So it's Roman time. That means it's six o'clock in the evening, rather than six o'clock noon. A lot of people think it's six o'clock. I mean, twelve o'clock noon, the sixth hour, uh, because normally people didn't go to get water. During the heat of the day, they went in the morning or the evening. This woman was an outcast, as you're going to see in a moment. And she probably she may have gone alone so she didn't have to be ridiculed by the uh, other women who were fetching water. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. As I mentioned, the Jews didn't like Samaritans. They thought they had compromised with the invading Assyrians. And they you know, they just didn't feel they were Jewish. They were half-breeds, uh, some kind of mongrels. They didn't feel good about them, and they wouldn't associate with them. And me- and men, Jewish men, did not really associate with women unless it was their wife. So she's really astounded that Jesus is asking for a drink. So Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, again, this is all in the dramatic present, Make believe you're there. See it happening before your eyes. So you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattles? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give with him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Now Jesus says something interesting here. Whoever drinks this water will thirst again. It's not literal water. It's not physical water. But the thirst is something that you can understand in the modern context you know, you hear people go into a crowded place, pretty girl will see a bunch of guys and say, Oh, the thirst is real. It's that kind of thirst. It's a longing, it's a desire, it's a lusting for more. When you drink the living water, you don't lust for more. When Jesus is your great treasure, you don't need anything more. So that's what he's talking about. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. She still sees it as physical water. She doesn't want to have to walk to the well to draw the water. I don't want to be thirsty. He said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said I have no husband, for you have had Five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. So this woman has been married five times. She's living now with somebody else, a sixth person. She would have been an outcast. That's why many commentators believe it was noon, the hottest part of the day, because she didn't wanted to avoid the ridicule of the other women. But again, because I said John's using roaming time Uh, I'm going to stick with it. It's probably 6 o'clock in the evening, the cooler part of the day, and maybe she was just used to the abuse and didn't care anymore. The woman said to her, Sir, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. There was a, you know, controversy between the Samaritans and the Jews. When the northern kingdom split, they worshiped in Samaria. They were they built their own temple. They had their own version of the Pentateuch, the first five ver- uh, books of the Bible. And the Jews say Jerusalem is where the temple was built, and that's where you're supposed to worship. So that was another discrepancy between the two groups. Jesus said to her, woman, Believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So this is another case of Jesus kind of bringing a new order to the world. It doesn't matter if it's Samaria, Jerusalem, or where. True worship is in spirit and in truth. It's not a physical location. When you worship the living God, you do it in spirit. You do it in truth. You don't do it in a particular location. You're not tied down to a particular location when you're born again. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. What a glorious moment. This woman must have been so thrilled. Is this strange man who tells her he can give her living water. Who knows. Remember we said before that Jesus is the discerner of hearts. He knows. Her history. He knows her misery. He knows your history. He knows your misery. He knows your pain. And he says to her. I am the one you've been looking for. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. It is me. I'm right here in front of you. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Because again, Jews just didn't speak with women, especially rabbis. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out to the city and they were coming to him. Once again, we see the example in the scripture. People tell their friends about Jesus and bring them to Jesus. We need to bring people to Jesus. That's how you talk to your friends. An old pastor of mine used to say, before you talk to your friends about God, talk to God about your friends. Pray for your friends. Pray God to soften their hearts and open their eyes and ears and then bring them to Jesus. Introduce them to Jesus. Make it about Jesus, not about church, not about other hypocrites, not about people that have mistreated them. It's about Jesus. They went out to the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. The disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's your food too, Christian. That's my food. Do his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields that they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor." Oh, Christian, what wonderful truths we have here today. Meditate on them. Seek the Lord God with all your heart. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. And then bring your friends to Him. Introduce them to Jesus that their lives might be forever changed. Thank you for listening to Jesus and Coffee. Amen.